Off top, one gram of human DNA is believed to hold 215 petabytes of information, which is about 100,000 times more than the average computer. And a gram. Play the music. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. Welcome to the Dominique Foxworth Show. We are joined by my friend and one of my favorite morning radio personalities, Chris Canty in the building. Welcome. Well, he's he's in his home. He's not in the building. He's on the Zoom with me there and my go. buddy Charlie. I got a couple of questions. First of all, all right. when's the next time you're coming on on Sportsman like my radio show? 6 Tomorrow morning. 7 a.m. Okay. There's that. And second question is, have you stolen somebody else's jacket? <laughs> yes, this is not this is a, a unsportsmanlike conversation that has not made it to the Dominique Foxer show. But Charlie, I don't know if you know this, but um, last time I was in New York or two times ago, actually, I was in New York. I have the same brand of like jacket mm. as this is not going to make it any better as Michelle Smallman. Mm. So I'm running out. You're the, I guess the you're the small man. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew it was coming. She spells it with an O, so I guess I'm a small Jamaican, small mom. <laughs> I don't know. So I ran out and grabbed her jacket by mistake, took it all the way to D.C., and then tried to mail it back to her, and it eventually came, but it took a while to get here. I got back before the jacket got back, but um, I'm headed to a restaurant tonight so I can buy her a gift certificate as an apology, which is a lot cheaper than me having to buy her a new coat but yes I, I i'm out of the jacket stealing business for now i still don't understand Nick, why you mailed the jacket instead of just bringing it back the next time you were in studio because i overnighted it thinking that i took her jacket and i wanted to inconvenience her as little as possible so i was like it would be convenient for me just stuff it in my bag and not think about it but i was like all right i'll send it back to her and that would be the nice thing to do but uh, it ended up not getting here till after i got back it, it wasn't a good plan i acknowledge <laughs> when i was at the you know how i was at the ups store and i put in the address or i told the lady the address and she was like it's not coming up on our computer mm. how ups don't That's have a computer and, I was, and she was like do you want me to just overpower it and send it anyway i was like yes do it and that's how it got lost, probably. But it got there eventually. So trying to inconvenience her less ended up inconveniencing her more. Which is gotcha. why I'm okay. going to get her a big gift certificate to a fancy restaurant. And, and everyone can leave me alone and accept my apology. Uh, and maybe she'll enjoy a meal. Charlie, you got jokes. I know you do. No, it's no. I, I, I Speaking have... of people in the wrong places, you got your stinky booty. That's right. And my great, great chair. It'll never be the same. Um, uh. No, no, I have PTSD. <laughs> I've had to shift stuff to the Seaport studio before, and it is difficult for things to get there. It takes well, we won't. It could take months. Um, we won't have to for uh, real soon. <laughs> you guys want to talk about some football? Great for it. I would love to. All right, why not? So we got a couple conference championship games this week, and we're going to start with the big one: the AFC. Patrick Mahomes. Maybe the best quarterback of all time. Certainly in the top two. Unbelievable that he he upset the Bills by the Vegas line. And the Chiefs are going against Lamar Jackson and the Red Hot Ravens, who have been the best team in the NFL for the majority of the season. But I want to ask you, what do you think is the tougher task for this Chiefs team? Lamar and the Ravens offense or scoring on the Ravens defense? 
I definitely think scoring on the Ravens defense is going to be a tougher task because, I mean, the, the Chiefs defense is very good. And I guess pushing back, I'm already disagreeing with myself midway through, but I'll, I'll stick with my take. I'll stick with my take for now. Um, the way that Ravens defense play in the game against Houston, of course, Houston is not the Chiefs. Well, offensively, they might be the Chiefs statistically wise, but C.J. Stroud is not Patrick Mahomes. I, I get that. However, they've been playing this way just about in every game this season and watching them completely suffocate an offense in a divisional round. They had three points. I don't know how many first downs. They were uh, overall negative in EPA, their offense was, because the Ravens' defense was so fast and so physical. They were so bad that on an EPA per game, they are only better than the Jets in that game. That, and I assume that uh, the Chiefs will be better than that, but they ain't going to be much better because this defense, man, it, it, does, it feels really well-disciplined and fast and physical, which is a hard thing to, to beat, especially when you don't have game-breakers like that. Like, Kelsey ain't what he was, and they don't got nobody else that the, that the Ravens need to be particularly concerned about outside of the quarterback. And just think about this. That Ravens defense did that in the second game against the Houston Texans. They played them earlier in the season. Texans offense didn't score a touchdown in. Mm-hmm. They didn't score a touchdown last weekend. So it just goes to show you how good they've been. They've been the best defense in football since they traded for Roquan Smith midway through the 2022 season. Whether you want to do EPA, you want to do defensive efficiency, you want to do yards, you want to do points, it's the best defense since they traded for Roquan Smith. And just think, they dominated the Texans' offense in the playoffs without having Marlon Pumphrey, an all-pro corner. Now, think about the Kansas City Chiefs potentially being without Joe Tooley, their all-world guard, lining up, and in their offensive line having to drop Justin Matabike, mm. a Pro Bowl defensive tackle. It, it doesn't look good. I say all that to say this. I still think it's going to be a bigger task for that Chiefs defense to stop the Ravens' offense than it will be for the Chiefs' offense to move and score against the Ravens' defense. And the reason why I say that is, as a defender, we all know there's no defense for the perfect throw, the perfect catch, and we know that Pat Holmes can do that routine. He can make the impossible with routine. When I think about the Ravens' run game with the guys mm-hmm. that got in the backfield, with Lamar Jackson, number one run offense in the National Football League, going up against the worst Rush defense in the NFL, according to one stop win rate. They had the worst one stop win rate in the regular season, and it actually got worse in the playoffs. They had a one stop win rate of 27% during the regular season. It dipped down at 24% against the Buffalo Bills. Absolutely atrocious. I, I don't know how that front seven for the Chiefs slowed down the Baltimore Ravens run game. And if you can't stop their run game, good luck stopping that offense. Yeah, the impressive things about the Ravens offense so far this year is they've evolved. And they have maintained a real physical running attack. And I think it's a hard thing to do, to evolve an offense, include all these new receivers, um, add some more sophisticated passing concepts, to do all of that. And still, at the end of that game, Texans knew they was going to run. Ravens knew they was going to run. I was in the stadium. We all knew they were going to run. And they was blowing their 
off the ball. <laughs> like it's just it, to do that. Like that. Those are the feelings when you're on a team. You just feel like you're watching from the sideline, and it's like four yards before they even touch the running back in a must-have it situation when you're they know exactly what you're going to do. That's the type of stuff that I think gives me confidence of, about this Ravens offense against the Chiefs defense. But they got players over there, and I mm-hmm. think that might be what I'm what I'm coming down to. Why I sided on the other side of this because I'm not sure. As as you notice, I backtrack mid conversation. I'm not sure that I feel strongly either way. And you made a good case, but Trent McDuffie and Legarius Sneed and Chris Jones and Karloftis has gotten so much better. I think this this year, um, they got guys that can make things happen. That can go above the scheme and make plays. And every quarterback, including Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, is included. He did in this game. He in the game against the Texans. He threw one at them. And it hit. It hit five with Petrie in in the hands, and yeah. he dropped it. Yep. He plays and the round. Yep. Yeah. And it's going to happen in this game because quarterbacks hard, and they got players who are capable of making the big time plays, and that's what they're going to need. Because I think you're right. I don't think they match up well against them. But the thing with the other side is. I mean, I guess I feel stupid saying that the offense doesn't have those type of players while they got Patrick Mahomes there. But outside of Patrick Mahomes, like we ain't really <laughs> we ain't really scared of MVS out there. And nah. Travis Kelsey is not breaking off big explosive gains necessarily, but he's good. It just feels like an offense that is limited against a defense that is incredibly multiple and I during the game rewatching that game I was tracking all the coverages and it was they didn't even give them a, a, a beat on the coverage like it didn't feel like it was like in three there's a four then they're man then they're blitzing and normally you come into a game plan and you're like all right this is our like bread and butter this is what we're going to go to because this is going to stop what they do and then over the course of the first quarter second quarter we're like all right their plan for this game is cover six I at no point in this game did I feel comfortable like saying that I completely understood what the Ravens' plan were was. It was just we better than y'all, and we're just gonna make sure that you don't have a beat on us. And they just they adjusted through the course of the game too. It just was impressive um, performance by that defense, and I expect them to do it again uh, against Patrick Mahomes. He gonna he gonna be doing a lot of scrambling this game. I get the feeling that he gonna run for a couple first downs. <laughs> he gonna have to if to keep this thing alive. Yeah, just, he just better make sure he avoids number zero and number six. Don't, 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 and number 14, too. Don't sleep on Kyle Ellington, the Swiss Army Knight. That dude is a problem. So, I mean, all of those playmakers on the second and third levels that the Ravens have, like, I just feel like they'll find a way to neutralize a lot of the second reaction plays that we come to know Pat Holmes for. So, it'll be interesting to see how those receivers adjust. When we start talking about Mahomes potentially having to buy time by manipulating the pocket, how much time can he buy? How much separation can those guys get? I think that's going to be a critical factor for the Chiefs offense if they're going to have success. Clowney was great in this game also, and I I, I didn't even make the point about their big nickel package that they use with with, uh, Hamilton. Yeah, and yeah, they put them, they put Stone back at safety, put Hamilton down in the nickel, and he against Kelsey, like, I don't think they need to double, guys. They don't need to double with <laughs> Kyle Hamilton. He can blitz off the edge, and I think he'll be fine in coverage against Kelsey. And if you're not going to have anybody that is tilting the coverage, they not, and you're not going to get the running advantage. We saw that they did this. The, uh, the Bills tried to stay in nickel for a lot of this game, and 
the Chiefs were able to run the ball because of it. It ain't the same, man. You can try to force the Ravens into nickel, but they got a big nickel. And they can go to regular nickel. They can stay in big. Y'all not going to be able to Pacheco the Ravens, man. Not with Clowney winning the edge the way that he was this week. And with uh, their nickel being six damn five. Yeah, okay. Good, good luck. So I do want to ask you guys a tiny bit about the other side of the ball. Because um, we touched on Lamar a little bit and how they're going to be able to literally run wild, most likely against the Chiefs defense and their weakness there. But if you guys were looking at it and there's a game plan for the Chiefs defense to succeed against the Ravens, what does that sort of look like? It's stacking the box. They have to. They have to bring extra defenders into the box. And similar to something that the Ravens do with their big nickel package, I, I think that the Kansas City Chiefs need to come out there with, with a big nickel package and add a defensive tackle on the field. I absolutely think that they've got to have five big bodies on the line of scrimmage at all times to neutralize that Ravens right game. I know that that leaves them thin on the back end, but the back end is the strength of that defense. So those guys are going to have to be able to hold up in one-on-one coverage against some of those young receivers from the Ravens. First and foremost, you got to stop the run because what I saw up at Orchard Park was a problem. The front seven for the Kansas City Chiefs looked like Lil Bow Wow when that movie rolled bounce because they was on skates the entire game. And that's a problem. And, and Nick talked about what he saw down at MT Bank Stadium last week and in terms of how that run game for the Baltimore Ravens just grinds you down. And I mean, it's a terrible feeling in football when, as a defense, you know they're running the ball. They know they're running the ball, and they also know that you can't stop. It's the worst feeling in all of football. And I feel like that's what this thing is setting up for the Kansas City Chiefs, unless they make some big adjustments from what we saw last week. Remember, the Buffalo Bills came out there with an extra offensive lineman. David Edwards played over 20 snaps in that game. They put an offensive lineman at the tight end spot and mauled the front seven of Kansas City. And one of my coaches... Todd Bowles and Casey Rogers, they used to tell us when I was with the Dallas Cowboys, if you don't stop it one week, you're going to see it the next week. Yep. You best believe John Harbaugh is looking at that tape and saying, oh, yeah, we're throwing extra offensive linemen in there tight end. It's just they playing more hey, into what we want to do anyway. The thing is, they got Patrick Ricard. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> they can put him out there without even compromising too much. And they're going to get Andrews back. They might go to old school Ravens <laughs> and go back to that 13 uh, personnel stuff. They still got that stuff in the playbook. Don't don't you worry. I think also the the running attack is a concern. And the point that you're making, I'll drive it home a little bit more, is if you are loading the box, you are compromising your coverage. You're putting people in a tough situation. And the purpose is to stop the run. And this is a problem. If you load the box and you can't stop the run, then what you do then? Like, <laughs> there's no moves after that. There's nothing left. <laughs> you can put another person in the box. And I think to your original question, Charlie, or not original question, but to your, your follow-up question, Charlie, about how would you go about um, attacking this Ravens offense, I think you have to blitz, you have to be aggressive, and you have to challenge Lamar to be an accurate passer. You have to play tight man coverage. Zay Jones is, or excuse me, Zay Flowers is going to be hard to stay with. Bateman's good also. Odell Beckham still can get open. Yeah. These guys are going to be hard to cover, but that's what you have to do. You can't be doing this zone stuff. And that's the tough thing is you want to do zone because you want to have eyes on Lamar in case he scrambles. But I think if you leave him the windows, he's proven that he can read the coverage and he's going to hit those windows. You're going to have to blitz him and uh, play tight man coverage behind, and that's going to make you susceptible to some big plays. And if you give some up, 
brush brush your um, pants off and line up and do it again. And I think that's the that's the message coming into this game is I think it can be demoralizing when you give up big plays. They have to understand, hey, look, we're going to leave ourselves exposed to some big plays. If we give them up, don't worry, Pat going to get it back. But understand that we're going to put you in some trouble spots, and I want you to do the best you can, but I want every, don't get demoralized if Zay catch a, a 45-yarder on us. We're going to bounce back. I mean, this is like this conversation just drives home something that I've been thinking about the last week, which is that so much of the narrative around this team has been about Lamar Jackson, the MVP, all of the fluff around that. This is like one of the most underrated great NFL teams in recent history. All the analytics support that they're like an incredible team. And we sort of ended up on this conversation where there are no answers for Patrick Mahomes in an AFC championship game. And that is crazy from where we were a week ago being like, I don't know. We'll see how Lamar, how Lamar performs against the Texans. And now it's a week later. It's like, nah, nah. They're just better than everyone. I mean, we thought that. Yeah. I guess it's different before the game, and it's different when they have a week off. But I think we all thought that the Ravens were the best team in football. But we also have seen them have some struggles in the playoffs. And we've talked about this ad nauseum, I think, on this podcast, is that the coaching improvements – the versatility and the multiplicity of the offense and the defense because they're they're no longer a Wink Martindale blitz-happy defense, which was like, all right, you figured out our blitz, we don't got no other move. And they're no longer a Lamar Jackson, like zone read, uh, RPO-only offense because once you figure that out, they ain't had that many other moves. They got other moves on both sides of the ball. It's going to be yeah, tough think- for anybody to beat them. No doubt about it. The one thing I will say, Nate, because you did talk about the versatility that the offense is showing this this year, I think Todd Munkin got the Ravens offense in a little bit of trouble early on in that game. Yes. Because the versatility that – the variety of the blitz packages that D'Amico Ryans was able to throw at the Ravens gave them some trouble, not just in the passing game, but also in the running game. And I thought from the passing concepts to some of their formations, they made it easy for the Texans to disguise – they made the adjustments at halftime, and that's why you saw back-to-back touchdown drives coming out of the half. But I thought that Todd Munkin got Lamar in a little bit of trouble, especially with some of the concepts in the passing game. They were running a lot of the deep comebacks, the dagger concepts, post-post corners. You can't run those deeper patterns when that yeah. other team is sending six rushers or one. Exactly. You can't do it. And so they had to adjust from that. They went back to some of the shorter passing conference, stick routes, over routes, those types of things to make it hard for the defense to disguise in the second half. And the law was able to take advantage of. And when they did take those things away, those route concepts displaced the coverage and the law was able to take off and run the ball. So I think Todd Walken has got to be mindful that some of the things that the Texans and Tobacco Ryan did in the first half, they're going to see that again yeah. from Steve Spagnola and the Kansas City Chiefs. The only way anyone's ever had consistent success against Lamar is to blitz him. And the previous offense didn't have answers for the blitz. This offense, early in the game, they did not have answers. You're watching these long developing routes, which I think your point is fair. I was I was on Mina's podcast a, a little while ago, and I was critical of Todd Munkin because what took so damn long? Like, that's the one thing that I think you should always have in your pocket if you are the Ravens offense is answers to the blitz. Because that's the only thing. That's the recipe. To give Lamar trouble. It's the only time anyone's ever had success, consistent success, is blitzing him. So why they had to wait till they got to halftime and Lamar himself was like, this is some <laughs> give me some answers to the blitz. <laughs> I don't know why they don't just have like these like five to ten plays on their play sheet that's like, all right, they're going to blitz us because that's all. Because we saw what happened. When you don't blitz him, he does whatever the hell he wants. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash df today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash df. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really... Who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, let's move to the other conference. Um, 49ers opened as a seven-point favorite against the Lions. We also heard from Kyle Shanahan on Monday, who said that Debo does not have a broken shoulder, uh, which is good. Not having a broken shoulder is good. But he also said that he's in far too much pain to assess how available, if he'll be available, what type of role he can play in that game. We know what happens to the 49ers offense without Debo Samuel. It's very, very different. So my question for you guys is, if Debo doesn't play, how would you handicap the 49ers-Lions game? The 49ers are a great running team, and we talked about running the ball against a loaded box. The 49ers are capable of doing that. Um, they're not as great against the run on defense. And I think both of these offenses are predicated on, and they're obviously Shanahan schemes, uh, not Kyle Shanahan, but also Kyle Shanahan, but they're disciples of, of uh, Mike Shanahan, where it's like run and play action is what they want to do. Under center run and play action is what they want to do. They do that well. I think the team that is going to be the best stop in the run, which is some real old school football to bring up, but like that's a team I feel more comfortable with. 
I don't know what that answer is going to be. So I really don't know how to handicap this. Like the way that Jared Goff played last week gave me more confidence in Purdy. Led a game-winning drive, which is nice, but he was inaccurate. And a lot of that could have been because of the rain. Um, yeah, I'm having a hard time handicapping this. The one thing that I will jump out and say that has been disappointing and I have to accept that this 49ers defensive line, they ain't, they ain't, they ain't been doing it. And they have not been as good as you need them to be. And I don't expect them to show up, which means we get Jared Goff not under pressure. And that's the scary Jared. Yeah, the offensive line for the Detroit Lions should be able to hold up. We saw what the Packers offensive line did. Mickey Bosa and Chase Young got shut out. No sacks from those guys. So if they can't put pressure on Jared Goff, it's going to be a problem. And I think the interesting thing about this matchup is that you have the two most explosive offenses in the NFL. Like, these offenses were one and two in plays of 20 yards or more. They finished one and two. And the 49ers edged out the Detroit Lions by one more explosive play. So that's how close to contested this thing is. And if you don't have Debo Samuel, I get that one player shouldn't make that much of a difference. But we've seen when Brock Purdy doesn't add his full supporting cast, when we guys like Debo and Trick Williams were bagged up earlier in the season, this was not the same team. They lost three in a row. Like, I, I just, if Debo can't be out there, if he's not available for this team, that, that I think the 49ers can find themselves in some real trouble because they get the different version of Brock Purdy. I think it'll help, though, that it seems like they're going to be more prepared for Debo not being out there. Because that's the thing about having really unique players like Debo Samuel is you can't just put another receiver in to do what he does. And your game plan is going to suffer if you have a game plan that is designed at any part. Any part of the game plan is designed around the uniqueness of Debo Samuel. And they that is a huge part of it is like the uniqueness of Christian and Debo is like what makes this in uh, George Kittle is what makes this offense really impressive. And it feels like you've got to put a line through a whole side of the playbook if Debo's not out there, and at least you won't have to in this game if they don't, if he doesn't play, because they're going to come in knowing that he's hampered. They're not going to hand him the ball out of the backfield. So that does, like, bode well for the Lions, but it also is nice for the 49ers to not have to practice all them plays or think about all that. And then, like, it just feels like you're, if your first down big plays are designed around you forcing them into a base personnel because Debo's on the field, and Christian's on the field, and then you want to shift to a three-by-one, which you're capable of doing with both of them, you can't really do it with, with Jennings. He can't do it. They handed him one, didn't they do? They handed him yeah, one out of the backfield. It that was ridiculous. Wasn't great. So, yeah, that, that, that does matter, I think, um, not being hampered by the idea of having the, the tools that you're not going to have. I've, I've, it's really hard to go against the 49ers, given how good they've looked all year, but they are so, so beatable, and the Lions have played well. I don't know. I mean, it comes down to a trust factor with the quarterback. And I can't believe I'm in the position of saying this, but I actually trust Jared Goff more than I trust Brock Purdy. If Brock Purdy doesn't have Debo Samuel, I trust Jared Goff in the Detroit Lions offense more than I trust the 49ers. As great as Kyle Shanahan is with the X's and O's and putting defenses in a blender with the different personnel groups to create mismatches, if you don't have Debo, that's one of your big chess pieces. So as great as Christian McCaffrey is, as great as that offensive line and that run game could be, I just don't think you're going to get the same version of Brock Purdy. And here's the other thing that I want to note. 
there's something to be said for the physicality of the Detroit Lions. Mm -hmm. Like the Detroit Lions feel like they can match the physicality of the San Francisco 49ers. And we've seen what happens when teams match their physicality. We saw what happened in Cleveland. Cleveland knocked out Debo and they knocked out Trent Williams. We saw what happened with that physicality. They ended up winning that game. We saw what happened Christmas Eve. I mean, Christmas night with the Baltimore Ravens. Matched their physicality. Ended up being problems for the San Francisco 49ers. Physical teams, when they punch the San Francisco 49ers in the mouth, I don't know that this is a team that has responded in the right way this season. So that's another thing that I watched in this game. Physicality is the ultimate equalizer, especially this time of year. And so... And that's also something that travels. So yeah. I'm curious to see how that plays out, how that bears itself out in the NFC Championship. Is there any, the anything more Lions than that report that Frank Ragnow sprained both his ankle and his MCL, and he's completely fine he playing because it's worth it? Yeah, it came back and is like, he's like, nah, nah, I'm good for next week. No worries. Watching Penny Sewell play is so much fun. It's not, I mean, I don't typically, typically love O-linemen play, but watching that athleticism, mm -hmm. it's going to be uh, fun to watch against this team. And I think the, the defense, the weakness or relative weakness of the 49ers defense compared to what they were in the past, I think we don't, we underappreciate how important their defense has been to these runs because we uh, just love Kyle Shanahan so much. But this defense having some problems, I think, is gonna be their issue. perimeter run game defense is trash yeah trash yes Hear me? trash and absolutely yeah. garbage you had Dontavian Wicks and Christian Watson cracking Chase Young and Nicky Bosa and they would get out of the gates the Green Bay Packers Aaron Jones had a field that it's the first hundred yard rusher they allowed in like 18 games there's a, there's a reason why we're starting to see some cracks in that defense their one defense especially on the perimeters is not as good as it's been in years past. And you better believe that Ben Johnson, the offense coordinator for the Lions, and Dan Campbell are going to test that one defense early and often, especially with Jameer Gibbs, who's been like lightning in a bottle for the Lions down the stretch and in the postseason. Dominique, we talked about this. It's just Chase Young. It's just not been that good of a football player. It's incredibly disappointing. We thought it was going to be something completely different when he was single-teamed across from Nick Bosa on the weak side of the field. It's just he's not been that impact guy. And you know it's bad with that when there's already, like, the reports leaking that he might not be with the team next season after they traded a third-round pick for him. Um, but very disappointing from someone who watched him a lot in Washington. Yeah, and he's an explosive athlete who you expect to be able to – like, he was good early in his career, and he showed flashes. Mm -hmm. And then he hasn't quite been the same ever since. And – we thought this was going to be a big acquisition for them, and it hasn't really um, bolstered the D-line the way they needed it to. Yeah. Um, you see why Chase Young went for a third round pick and Monte Sweat went for a second round mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I mean, DC boy. I mean, that made sense. Having watched a lot of the commanders, that made sense uh, to me. All right, guys, let's move on to the Eagles. Time for some chaos, some disarray. Um they aren't bringing back any of their three coordinators. No Patricia, no Brian Johnson, no Desai. We're taping this on Tuesday. There's a press conference on Wednesday. It has been leaked by Schefter that Nick Sirianni is likely going to remain the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. They could lose a lot of guys to retirement. Who knows what's going to We know that they're going to have the coach and the quarterback, though. And my question to you guys, do you think getting rid of the coordinators and replacing them with good ones can fix the Philadelphia Eagles? Absolutely. 100%. I believe that can fix the Eagles. 
especially their offense. As, as we talked about the Ravens earlier, they've evolved their offense off of what they've had success what they've had success doing in the past. That's the big thing that I want for uh, Jalen Hurts and this Eagles offense. It's some evolution. It feels like what they had success with in the past. They brought it. They tried to run it back, and with Jalen Hurts' injuries and with people finding ways to slow it down, they seem to not have another counterpunch. So maybe a coordinator will fix that. Defensive side of the ball, they're gonna need more than a coordinator. They're gonna need some bodies, uh, some new bodies in the linebacking core in the secondary. But it's a start. I, I've, I've never been a proponent of moving on from Nick Sirianni because everything I get from that organization is that Nick Sirianni is not in as much control as a traditional head coach. And so if he's a middle manager, firing him ain't going to change anything unless you're willing to give the control to someone else. Yeah, and I guess that's where it begins and ends for me, Doc, uh, Nick, with, with, with the Nick Sirianni of it all, like, who is going to be the one that's putting together this coaching staff that's going to be revamped? Is it Seriati or is it Howie Roseman, general manager? Because this feels like a move to consolidate power to keep Nick Seriani as a figurehead, but to put the coaches in place that Howie wants to put in place rather than going out and get a, getting a Bill Belichick or Mike Vrabel, a head coach that would insist on having more power, more say, more swing within the organization. Remember, Howie Roseman ended up being a figurehead when they hired Chip Kelly once upon a time. And it seems like every move that he's made since has been to avoid putting himself back in that situation. Even with Doug Peterson winning a Super Bowl in 2017, he got rid of him a year later. Why? Not because Doug Peterson couldn't coach. It's because Doug Peterson, like Jalen Hurts and Alvin Roseman, just extended Carson Wentz. And how dare the head coach want to have any say over personnel decisions? Let me get this dude up out of here. Now, it just so happens that it worked out with Nick Sirianni, but I guess my biggest question is, who's putting together the stack? Mm-hmm. Because if it's a situation where it's a forced marriage, some of the names that have been floated out there, Bob Rivera as the defensive coordinator, Frank Reich as the offensive coordinator, even though Frank and Nick have some, some history together in Indy, I just wonder, putting two coordinators in place that have extensive head coaching experience, both of those big guys have been head coaches at multiple places in the NFL, it, it it makes it seem as if Nick Sirianni is a lame duck coach, even though he has multiple years left on his contract. So I can yeah, say again, what's the point in keeping Nick Sirianni around if you're going to undermine his authority and usurp his control over the lock wing because everybody knows he ain't the one that's really running the show? Yeah, that's what it feels like to me. And there's no, uh, and this is, feels like it's an inside the building thing because I can't point to specific things that failed Nick specific things that were directly attributed to Nick Sirianni. Like he didn't bring in Matt Patricia, didn't want him. Like he didn't name, uh, well, yeah, there's, there's other stuff in there that I don't want to get into, but the fact of the matter is it doesn't feel like Nick Sirianni is in control. So like, what are we firing him for if he's not in control? Well, what are you keeping him for? Yeah. Well, you're keeping (laughs) him because so, and that's the thing is if he's not in control of the things that are the problem, he's, he's tasked with managing the staff that you give him. If he mismanaged the staff, that's fine. But no one said that was the problem. The problem is with the staff actually executing what they're supposed to be executing. And if Nick Sirianni's not the one who's choosing them, then you can't blame him for uh, the poor game plan and the poor execution. So like, it depends on what kind of head coach he's going to be or what kind of head coach you want. If you want to bring someone in, who you're going to give the power and decision-making authority to, then you can hold them accountable. But it feels unfair to hold him accountable for something that he can't control 
I mean, fairness doesn't matter, but it feels like a, a waste of time move. Because if you want someone who is not going to make the decisions, then you got them. You want to hire somebody else to not make decisions, you haven't done anything. Unless you're going to hire someone else and give them the power, then what are we doing here? How weird is this? But Nick, that kind of that kind of tension, I think, is yeah. what can explain the collapse that we saw over the last month of the season. You know, we were sitting there trying to point to well, what happened. Maybe something in the locker room, something's going on. That type of tension between general manager and the coaching staff. When something changes, when something goes off the rails, that type of tension is what can have or force the kind of collapse that we're seeing. It's incredibly with, uncommon. With the Philadelphia Eagles. Charlie, I think that's what you're going to ask. It's incredibly yeah. uncommon for a head coach to not have coordinator or staff building authority. Well, and like any authority it feels like most football coaches like to run, run the run run their own run their own program and it feels like he doesn't get to do any of that stuff now yeah it's very much it feels like baseball to me yeah like the way that baseball managers are explained it feels like that's what they're trying to do and um in philadelphia and it's worked mm-hmm. but it's I, I think consistency and congruency and game plan or not just game plan in your plan in your strategy in your culture matters where it emanates from can be the head coach, the owner, the general manager, but undercutting the authority, it, it feels, I don't know. I, I just never liked that when it feels like you work for me, but you really know that you can go around me or I don't really have any power. Like it feels like you're undercutting Nick Sirianni. It doesn't mean that it can't work, but it's not something I would love to do. Yeah. It's like every sport other than football. You said in the NBA, you said obviously in major league baseball, some GM set the lineup even. It's just, it's crazy. Um, all right. Last one. So it got reported uh, today on Tuesday that Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers are within striking distance of a deal. They flew his wife out to L.A., big wife guy. Um, How quickly do you expect Harbaugh to be able to turn things around with the Chargers? I don't know. I mean, it's like... (laughs) Division, the question, is, bad question, but just roll. No, with no, it. no, 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 no. It's not a bad question. It's, <laughs> a, it's a, just, a, it's just a difficult question. Yeah. Um, I think they have roster issues, mm-hmm. but they also do have a lot of really talented players on that team, and they have a quarterback that we see it, but we gotta really see it. We haven't really seen it to that next level, and if. Harbaugh is able to he's not going to be able to address all the roster issues that they have but he's if he's able to left to lift Herbert to a point where he's one of these guys where it's like Josh Allen or Mahomes and like a guy where it's like all right we got some holes but he can overcome them then they could be good immediately in a division that's got the Chiefs but yeah that's the hard part is I don't know I just don't know what uh what Harbaugh is going to bring and can whatever he bring compensate for the roster deficiencies. Yeah. I'm still looking at this as a hypothetical because I don't believe the Chargers will pay what it costs to get Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. That is a notoriously cheap organization. The Spanos family ain't got the best reputation on the streets, but what if they do get Jim Harbaugh, I think they'll get a head coach that'll get the best out of Justin Herbert. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what Jim has done at every single stop. I mean, Josh Josh and that San Diego turned into an NFL player. I mean, Andrew Luck at Stanford. I mean, Colin Kaepernick at San Francisco. I mean, he had Alex Smith to some degree. And then J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. Like, this is what that guy does. He, he turns quarterbacks, good quarterbacks, into great football players. Um, and, and so I would anticipate the best from Justin Herbert. But, again, they have a lot of salary cap constraints. Khalil Mack has a cap hit, damn near $40, $40 million. Like, I mean, what are you going to do with that? The guy had a 15-sack season, but he's got a captain of $40 million. Keeping Khalil Mack, you're going to pay what that costs. 
Like, I, uh, I, like those are the questions I have. Joey Bosa has been injury prone of late. Turner James injury prone. The whole damn receiving core for the Chargers injury prone. So I just, I don't know how they fix all of the different issues, given that they don't have a lot of cap flexibility this offseason. Um, so there's that. But if, if anybody can wring all of the potential out of the talent that's on the roster, it's Jim Harbaugh. So I think it would be an all run higher. I'm just not convinced that the organization is willing to pay what it's going to cost to get Jim from this. Jim Harbaugh will turn around by cheating. That's how he does it. Cheating. Hey, you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Classic quote. I will not um, get it tattooed on me, but I believe it. Charlie, <laughs> we, we, we got another win today. We ain't cheating. Appreciate you, Chris Canty, for joining us. And thank you, Charlie Podville, for the studio and the rest of our great producers, Megan Serafina, Brian, Kevin, Tez. See ya. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show. 